This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Our worship continues with the public reading and study of His Word. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus the Messiah, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This morning's first reading, it's Deuteronomy 30, beginning with verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us together rise to hear the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as it is recorded in St. Luke, beginning at the 14th chapter, the 25th verse. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Okay, let's again pray. Father, as we've prayed before, we ask that um, we would um, all have ears to hear, that uh, your spirit would come and uh, open the scripture to us. We pray that the, the words and the life and the message of Jesus uh, will uh, truly encourage us and bless us, motivate us, and Lord, most of all, challenge us uh, in that loving way, uh, which he so often does, Lord. Pray that these words will um, cause us to reflect and really to become uh, more intentional uh, about our discipleship, more purposeful uh, about following your son, uh, more desirous of uh, seeking life, the way of life. Lord, give us that grace to choose life and to turn away from death. We ask this for the sake of your Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. So we're in the book of Luke. As you all know, we're going to be reading from Luke, uh, for the most part, all the way through uh, the end of November. And of course, Luke is a very um, beautiful gospel. Um, Beautiful in the sense that uh, you see the concern that Jesus has for the poor, for the for women, for the disenfranchised, from those those who are on the edge of society. But you also hear, uh, and we also hear in Luke, uh, a call to discipleship that's probably uh, the most radical and the most encompassing in all of the uh, all of the four gospels. And uh, this call to discipleship, or even reading and understanding uh, the words of Jesus, really presents us uh, with a challenge. On one hand, we need to read these words, the words of Jesus, in context. We need to read the words of Jesus uh, and, his call, and, and his warning about possessions, warning about money, warning about social status. We need to keep in mind uh, the bigger and broader picture. So if Jesus warns us about wealth, well, we also need to uh, take into account that Jesus was supported by wealthy women, Luke chapter eight. We also need to remember that uh, when Zacchaeus gets up and repent, repents by giving away a good portion of his money to the poor, Jesus commends him. Jesus uh, doesn't condemn him from say, for saying you didn't give away, you didn't give away enough. And when Jesus talks about living a very serious and I think intentional lifestyle, I also have to remember that Jesus is, or Jesus, sorry, did spend a lot of times at banquets where there's feasting and partying. So all of this needs to be kept in a, in a certain context. But equally, we have a challenge, especially those of us in the West, where we've become very comfortable. We've become so comfortable uh, that um, we don't take seriously the words of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is serious about what we do with our money. And he's serious about what we do with our time. 
And we can so domesticate this and say, well, Jesus wasn't against wealth. <clears throat> Jesus isn't really against possessions. No, Jesus is challenging us. So we don't want to domesticate Jesus to the point that, you know, he uh, makes us feel comfortable. Always, I think, reading the gospel, we should... We, we, we should feel not uncomfortable or condemned. Maybe we should not feel condemned, but perhaps we should always feel, you know, uncomfortable. And it should always lead us to the question, you know, what are my priorities? Where do my loyalties lie? Yes? Um, I think this is, uh, I hope, an important way to read the gospel. I'd just say one more thing. We should never... Uh, especially in the day and age in which we live, which is a very highly politicized time uh, in almost all the countries around the world, we should never be able to read the Gospels and come away saying, oh, you see, Jesus agrees with my political opinions completely. <clears throat> because if we're not challenged politically as well as personally, then something's wrong in the way that we're reading this book. Yes, something is wrong. Okay. Um, let's start with a passage. And uh, let's pick our way through it and see what we find here. I'd like to um, begin with the opening line to the, our gospel reading. Now great multitudes went with him. This also gives us uh, another context in which to read uh, this, this, uh, this saying, these teachings of uh, Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, yes? He's on his way to the cross, and he's teaching about discipleship, which means you can never, we can never separate discipleship from the cross, or the cross from discipleship. We have people who talk about discipleship, discipleship, discipleship all the time, but they forget the, the, they forget the place of the death and resurrection and even ascension of Jesus. And we have people a lot of times who talk about the cross and getting saved and having our sin nailed to the cross and they don't emphasize or properly teach discipleship. The two go together, like ham and cheese, I'm afraid, okay? Like Triscuits and good wine. I mean, they just, uh, bacon, lettuce, and tomato, okay? They're all, it comes in a package that we can't separate. And so <clears throat> Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's making pilgrimage. He's going to <clears throat> end up in Jerusalem at Passover time. And uh, this reflects the reality, the religious uh, life of the Jewish people in the second temple period. They, um, uh, many Jews, for, for a number of reasons that we won't go into because the sermon's gotta be shorter than it was two weeks ago. Um, Jewish people began to have an increased affection for the temple. Uh, and at one time where maybe only Israelite men went up to Jerusalem, now families, women, children are all making uh, a journey. They can't necessarily come every year. Sometimes they come once in a lifetime, twice uh, in a lifetime, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem, the excitement is building. There's a lot of passion, there's a lot of expectation, there's a lot of 
anticipation. And in Luke chapter 19, it says that uh, people are so excited, they're expecting the kingdom of God to appear any second. Okay, this is after Jesus uh, is uh, at the house of Zacchaeus. Any second, the kingdom of God is going to appear. I mean, it's so thick, you can cut it with a chainsaw. All right, so people are following Jesus. But the issue is, are they really following Jesus? Or have they been swept up in the passion, swept up in the excitement, swept up in the free lunches, yes, swept up in the, uh, you know, the medical care. That's what I live about Jesus and his healing ministry, you know, you didn't have to wait six months for a knee operation. <clears throat> Or if you're in Canada, I think you wait two years, isn't it, or something? <clears throat> in Britain, uh, they might operate on the wrong knee, I don't know. <laughs> and everybody loves to be entertained. And so here we have all these marvelous parables and stories and pithy sayings, yes? So why are people following Jesus? And Jesus is constantly challenging not only his disciples, but now he's speaking to the crowd. Do you really want to follow me? Or are you just coming along for some ride? You know, in our context, do we really want to follow Jesus? Or, yeah, church is something my parents told me I should do. Yeah, I should go to church because ah, my mom went to church, my dad went to church. It makes me feel good when we sing those songs. Yeah. And so here's, here's the drill. The drill is if that if we really, really want to follow Jesus, then Jesus gives some very hard and some tough things that he has to say to us. Again, we have to keep them in the context, but at the same time, <clears throat> let's don't uh, defang them. Let's don't take all the teeth out of them. Okay, so that they, they don't have any force, they don't have any power, and they no longer challenge us. And we can all sleep in our beds comfortably, okay, without wrestling with these words. So he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hating your mommy, mother, and father, and so here we have a commandment. This is not the commandment to love. Maybe this is the commandment to hate. I mean, how can Jesus talk about hating your mother and your father? Now, some of you are old enough to remember, maybe Paul Dilcher is one of them, there used to be a cult. Yes, this was a cult group called the Children of God. And they were active everywhere, even on the streets of Batavia, I'm sure. And uh, I can remember them, and their message uh, was very appealing to young people, especially in the early 70s, you know, when we just came out of the 60s. You know, the motto of the 60s was never trust anyone over 30, yes? I always thought it should be never trust anyone over three, but, <coughs> okay. but still, uh, they said, you know, if you want to really follow Jesus, you have to literally hate your mother and father. And uh, you can think that's a pretty weird cult, but they were pretty uh, influential for, for some time. And even had a few famous converts, like um, some of you old enough to remember, Jeremy Spencer, who was a guitar player for Fleetwood Mac, 
walked out of a concert one day and then became a member of the, ch and, and maybe you know River Phoenix or Summer Phoenix or Rain Phoenix. Do I have all those Phoenixes in there? Joachim Phoenix. They were all, their parents were in that cult too. So it was very appealing. But this group was misusing the scripture. Jesus isn't talking, is not talking about hating. Okay, there's no hatred here. In fact, what we have here is basically, right? What we have here is basically a Jewish understanding of discipleship. That when a person um, wanted to follow a sage, wanted to learn from a teacher, learn the Torah, learn God's guidance and direction and instruction, it was understood that as much as you love mommy and daddy, as much as you love the uncle and the cousin and the brother and the sister, actually that the rabbi was more important. That Jesus was even more important than your beloved family. And there's some sayings, Jewish sayings in, uh, in the Mishnah, which is a, uh, a uh, Jewish commentary on scripture that was uh, put put in writing in the third century, but it's much older than that. And it said, now if the Romans capture your father and capture your rabbi, you should go and ransom them. But you should ransom your father first, okay? Sorry, you should ransom, sorry, sorry. You should ransom your teacher first, your rabbi first, and then your father. If there's lost, if your father or your rabbi loses uh, something, you should go and find the lost property of your rabbi first, and secondly, go and find your father. Why is that? And the answer is simply this, because your father brought you into the world, but your teacher, your rabbi, will bring you into the next world. Okay? <clears throat> Uh, and so Jesus and Matthew challenges us if we love our family more than we love him then something's wrong there's, the, there's a divided loyalty there okay now what does it mean to hate well maybe some of you remember it said Genesis 29 where it says because Jacob hated Leah, God opened her womb. Now Jacob didn't hate Leah. He simply preferred Rachel. And what about Malachi chapter one, verse three, which Paul quotes in Romans nine. There Paul says, or Malachi says, and then Paul repeats, you know, God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now God didn't hate Esau literally. It meant that he preferred Jacob. He provided wonderful things for Esau. So here Jesus is saying, if we prefer our family over him, then we can't truly be a disciple. See, nothing can get in the way between us and our following Jesus. Now, when it comes to, especially when it comes to family stuff, yes, it is, this is also, by the way, um, this is pretty practical uh, in a number of ways, is because oftentimes in our loyalty to our family, yes, 
Um, we, we pick up all kinds, we listen to all kinds of voices, right, that tell us who we are and what we should do. And of course, every family has their set of myths and these myths are passed down from generation to generation. And many times these myths, most of the time, they're not based on gospel truth, on the revealed word of God. So you're no good. You know, we have bad luck. We have to work harder than everybody else. You know, we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We should never trust anyone. Um, we're afraid of uh, being failures. We don't, we're afraid of being successful, whatever it may be. But when we attach ourselves first and foremost and only to our family, then we will inevitably carry on the dysfunction. And Jesus is, comes to free us from, to liberate us from that kind of slavery, from that kind of fatalism, okay, which operates uh, in every family. And I think the other thing is that um, you certainly need to be, um, certainly need to be uh, careful is that um, all family relationships, all relationships, period, end up disappointing us and hurting us. Do they not? Community is very important. It's even essential. And some of you were in the men's group this week on Wednesday, and we're reading, uh, thinking about a book, reading a book by Henry Nouwen on spiritual guidance. And he talked about how important it is for us to be in community. But his, what was the gem uh, of the chapter was that if you're going to be in a community, he said, not if, you, we must, that we have to first and foremost practice forgiveness. And what, and what is the sin, you might say, that we have to forgive, release uh, in uh, each other, or we have the, sin, the sin that we have to forgive so o over and over again is the expectation that we put on people to be God. That expectation that we put on people, you have to satisfy all our needs. You have to fulfill me, complete me, you know, deal with my fears, my anxiety, <laughs> whatever that may be, you know. When instead, who should be doing that but God himself? The relationship, yes, community is not, is built around people, well, the Christian community, the family of Jesus, is built around individuals who have a relationship with Jesus. We take that relationship with him into the community. So families can be very tricky, they can be very difficult. I don't think Jesus is calling us to hate our families, nor is he calling us to use discipleship as an excuse not to get along with our family. I don't know how many young people I've heard over the years say, well, my family hates me because I'm following Jesus. Yeah, well, usually when you dig a little bit, you find out that uh, the, person, the person who was telling me this is self-righteous or full of pride, you know, or acts unreasonably whatever it may be. It does happen that families are divided because of Jesus. 
But my dear friends, don't let it happen uh, for anything but Jesus. Is that understood? Yeah. <clears throat> let, let the issue be the issue. The issue should be following Jesus and doing his will. Yeah? Not our necessarily condemning people, or as I said before, being self-righteous, preaching at people when it's inappropriate, et cetera, et cetera. Now Jesus certainly goes on also now to talk about wealth and to talk about possessions. And again, when I think when we talk about wealth and possessions, Really, and we, even when we talk about the family, are we not we talking about these two issues, the issue of identity and the issue of security? Money gives us security. Family gives us identity. <clears throat> and again, um, these things are very important. Uh, you know, it's, we get our identity from, from our nation state, from our language. We get an identity from... Uh, our denomination, we get an identity from the football team, uh, talking about soccer for you Americans, uh, the team that we support, okay, from the kind of uh, music we listen to. Yeah, all of these are secondary, and all of these are ultimately false, because our identity as important as our human family might be and our nation state might be, our identity has to be found in Jesus the Messiah. And being a member of his family is for, and his disciple is more important than being in the David Pelegi family or the Joe Smith family, yes, or the Malcolm McGregor family. But that's very hard for, for us to sink in. And where does security come from? Ultimately, should not security not come from the possessions that we've acquired and the money that we've earned or the status. Last week we talked about status and pride and how it's important to let God affirm us and to reward us and to be careful about seeking that status and affirmation from, uh, from those around us. And that status... Sorry, that security, yeah, ultimately needs to come from the Lord. And you know, it's interesting, is it not, that it is not the, the definition or the heart of what it means to, um, to be idolatrous. Does it not yet, does it not really, or does it not come from um, our desire yeah, to seek security and identity in created things. What does it mean to worship an idol or to depend on an idol? It means that we're going to find our security, we're going to find that identity in some place other than God himself. And if we examine our lives, we might find that there are a lot of idols. And that is, John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory because you can smash them on Thursday, but by Friday morning, your heart's going to be busy producing and manufacturing more. So you can knock them down every day. Yes? So ultimately, Jesus is just saying, look, if you want to be my follower 
And you want to know the blessings of what it means to follow me, not just the challenges. Then nothing can get in the way. Nothing can get in the way. And uh, when we often think about it, we think, well, if we ask ourselves the question, what is keeping us from following the Lord? You know what we find? It's a little bit like those um, we, in the passage uh, before about those who are invited to the banquet. You ever think about that parable? There's a king uh, who has a banquet. Uh, a certain man, not a king, gave a great supper and invited many, and he sent out this servant uh, at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all the things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. Now, have you ever noticed these excuses? These excuses are pretty lame. Yeah, just like our excuses. Yes, um, they said, uh, well, I, you know, I bought a piece of ground and I have to go and see it. Well, how is it that you, how can you buy a piece of property without seeing it? And then someone says, well, you know, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. Well, obviously you tested them first. Yes, and then you paid for them. And then another guy says, well, I've just married a wife and therefore, you know, I can't come for, to, a, to a banquet. Um, again, all these excuses are kind of weak and lame. And yet, aren't our excuses kind of similar? Aren't our, 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 the excuses that we give no different? In the Deuteronomy passage, yes, we're offered a choice between the two ways, the way of life and the way of death. And I think this is how Jesus understands it as well. There is the way of discipleship, which leads to life, not just eternal life, but life, uh, real life, true life in God uh, before we die. Uh, and then there's our way of doing things, which leads to death. And that choice is always before us. Do we choose life and ultimately to be loyal first and foremost to Jesus? And all other attachments, as important as they may be, are secondary? Or do we choose death? And the way of death, the way of life, as I said, uh, is eternal. Yes, and the way of death is very temporary. All that we're grasping onto, all that security that we think we're building up for ourselves, all that, um, all of our, that working, shaping, creating our, the, the identity that we want, or trying to find meaning uh, and purpose for our lives, all of that is disappearing before our eyes and will come to nothing. So what do we do? I think first and foremost, we need to ask ourselves, are we like these people who are just kind of following along after Jesus, thinking kind of what's in it for me? We, are we with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem because it's gonna be exciting or somehow we won't end up in hell or whatever? Or do we truly want to be his student his learner, and to conform our lives uh, 
to his life, as John spoke about last week, and to know not only the challenges, but the blessings of following him in a very practical way. So I think, first of all, we have to have that desire. Without the desire, the conversation doesn't go further. Secondly, uh, I think we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, point out to me what is an idol in my life? What am I depending upon? What am I grasping? What flimsy excuse do I have that keeps me from committing my, my life or shaping my behavior in a way that is more in line with what Jesus teaches me? And by the way, as we examine ourselves, we also have to know the words of Jesus. We have to study his life and know his words. Can't read a gospel once a week or once a month and then expect, you know, to be a disciple of Jesus. These words have to be precious and valuable to us. To think about them or meditate on them. And, and then finally, we ask the Lord uh, to, to help us, to give us his spirit so that this is not just another human effort, but uh, the Spirit of God is living through us, yes, uh, to be salt uh, and light wherever the Lord may put us. So there is a way of life. There is a way of death. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we ask that uh, all of us would choose life, that you would give us grace and foresight and the wisdom, and most of all, the desire. Give us desire to choose life. And Lord, we ask that as we choose life, Lord, we uh, uh, will have the uh, power of the Holy Spirit to continue uh, following you uh, and not to quit beforehand, but to count the cost. and to have uh, that inner strength that comes from you to say, yes, I will indeed be a disciple of Jesus, a follower, a student, and not someone who's simply uh, being swept along uh, with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Very interesting PS, isn't it? Where were all these excited crowds when Jesus was on the cross? Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.